Welcome to this episode of TF. Milo is it's back. It's the free one. Yep, you can see, you can hear, <laughs> yeah. Milo is back. You can see, listeners, but I can fucking not. My eyes are so bad today. Oh my God, the conjunctivitis uh, is back. Uh, well, I don't think the listeners even knew it was there. Now, know. now they know. I went on holiday yeah. and my conjunctivitis came back while I was still on the conjunctivitis medication. Folks, you love to see it or not see it in my case. <laughs> Well, um, let's everybody get our prayers up uh, for Milo and his fabulous eyes. Trash Future, the podcast that, on average, cannot see good. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's right. It is uh, also, of course, Riley, Alice, and Hussein, uh, who have been here the whole time, uh, not swatting about on holiday. What I can only assume is uh, Butlins, Blackpool. That's right, yeah. Um, I was was at Butlins, Newcastle under Lyme. Yeah, Having seeing a, a little pop show. Never should have That's smoked right, that shit. Yeah. Now I'm at the Butlins in Ulaanbaatar. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the Butlins in Ulaanbaatar is actually a great place to go out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's 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 well, Heidi High means something very rude in yeah, Mongolia. It, it, so. it became yeah, quite yeah. disconnected from the broader Butlins chain, and now it's sort of quite. It's quite adult, I would say. <laughs> well, now it's now it's a Pontins. The only centre parks I can afford to go to is the one in Ust Kaminogorsk, Kazakhstan. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, hi, hi everyone. Look, we, we had a lot of stuff to talk about last week, uh, and we know what we didn't get to talk about. We didn't get to talk about what we did to beat the heat. Oh, beat the heat. For years. For years I've done yeah. that. And, While I was and on holiday, I was actually had to explain this to a friend who was uh-huh. like, what? Because they said something about beating the heat, and I went, oh, beat the heat. And they were like, yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, you may be wondering, uh, are we going to talk about the release of the Ford report? Uh, yes, we are, but we're going to talk about some other stuff first. Yeah, most um, notably the fact that all of our brains have been baked, broiled, mm. uh, roasted un- under under the new the climate. The climate is happening. Yeah, that's right. And what I think, like, look, it's it's very easy to say uh, that. This is another example of, um, Alice, at least something you said, which is that the future is just cell phone videos of uh, extreme weather events, and eventually you're the one taking the video. Yeah, but um, the most recent one of those I saw was in Dagenham, and Dagenham's miles away, so I'm fine. I'm not worried about it. Um, yeah, and I think it's, it's easy also to note that, uh, and especially in the context of the Tory leadership election, uh, obviously none of them are going to do anything about this. Obviously, it's going to uh, get worse before it gets better. Well, Rishi, yeah, um, Rishi, here's, here's Rishi Sunak thing. sending everyone uh, little bottles of uh, SPF 30. That's right. That was so fun. They, and, and the extent, okay, for American listeners, it's common for, like, you know how if you're a real nerd, you'd get your teacher like a little like a little snack or whatever to like on teacher's day or what have you. Sure. Um, like well, an apple this, or whatever. Th- yeah, exactly. Well, this happens in the lobby journalists where people running for party leader are supposed to like give a little box of treats to lobby journalists. We and are a nation tr- of treat boys and treat girls. <laughs> that's the thing. Rubes. Also that. Also that. But so uh, the first, the first day of the heat wave, even though it didn't get as hot up here, uh, I, I had uh, quite a bad panic attack because I was like, oh, it's not going to get better, which is the one thing that I want. The only question is like how well we cope with it getting worse. And the answer probably is not well. Um, but then, but then sort of after a while, you know, you, you can't stay anxious forever. Eventually, one or another of your brain's defense mechanisms kicks in. And so... What it was for me was I, I just chose to adopt the way of the boomer. I became a big cry laugh emoji. I was like, yeah, it's a beautiful day. It's summer. Summer's supposed to be like this. It was hotter in 1976, probably. Haven't checked. Uh, and everything's going to be fine. Stop uh, worrying, woke snowflakes. <laughs> what, what I did was I just made the Minecraft fall damage noise uh, every couple seconds if I was outside. Like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, you were you were taking damage just by yeah. being outside. You're well, losing HP because I I, I I spec'd into Canadian, uh, and it's really it's really, it's very expensive to respec. I've been trying. Yeah, you put all um, of your points into like civility, which is actually pretty much useless now. And then you going I, to the nationality reassignment clinic. What I, what I found most. What I found <laughs> Do you most think of yourself music, as a Canadian when you masturbate? Yeah. What, what <laughs> I 
when I um what what I found most I mean look I, so I don't want to just sort of rehash all the table stakes about like the increasing stream weather our inability to our the inability of our infrastructure to cope with it and the unwillingness of anyone to recognize that this is going to take a huge effort of adaptation at least no, because, if not yeah because it would be an hour about, of screaming which yeah, we could I do what I want to talk about and and yeah maybe a new Patreon tier hour of screaming but what I want to do is I just want to talk about the completely insane way I saw the news covering it which is as though the heat wave was being was perpetrated by OJ Simpson in the 1990s there would be like a, a, there was a, I have a screen cap in front of me of a woman holding a giant thermometer and then picture in picture there is a camera pointed directly at the sun like this is the culprit here <laughs> we, he's he, he is orbiting around the Earth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, excuse me, no. Sorry, Somehow what's no. funnier about that is no. the woman holding the giant thermometer. I mean, like That to sorry. me is more comedy British TV of just being like, you may be unfamiliar with the concept of heat. I've brought this primitive device with me which demonstrates how it works. It's of, kind course, of, of course I meant. I meant that we are we are rotating around the culprit, of course, is what but I meant. Ahead of it happening, the, the tone of the news was, it's going to be a scorcher, this is going to be great, and yeah. then the second Second, it actually hit. Everyone was too hot to buy a newspaper that said that anymore. It's, it was so like the image itself was very funny because to me it reminded me of like these very funny flat earther images uh, where they used to take like levels on planes uh, to prove that the world yeah. was yeah. And that was very funny. And then the second part, um, I, I would I would kind of say that it wasn't the case that like it was hot and people were like oh shit like it's actually hot we, you know we can't necessarily just like bake and have an ice cream because actually it's too hot to function as a human being in this temperature it started off with like lots of news people sort of being in denial about the whole thing they were like oh yeah you know it's like really hot but it's not quite 40 yet and then as the day kind of went on and you had like trains not working and just like everything sort of like falling apart, which sort of culminated with like a record number of fires, including a fire that was like near like my house. Um, like I think towards the end, it was like that sort of tone then dissipated for the most part. So it was very much like this case of like denying that this was a problem until literally everything was on fire. Mm. We, we I mean, found the thing, we found yeah. the threshold that allows us to treat this as an emergency, and it is, you are currently on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, and this is, this is just a little bit, just a little bit of, again, I'm asking you to do the thing that we sometimes do, and we will do later on in the show, where I'm asking you to remember even the recent past, when any climate activist that went on any kind of public forum was... Uh, sort of uh, well, the, the main thing that they would they would receive isn't even the like the, the thing in don't look up where they were like oh yeah well you know that's a bit that's a bit harsh instead they would receive um accusations Abuse. of hypocrisy yeah, um, yeah especially exactly. on like you, you get a call-in show and, and someone who had like glued themselves to a train or whatever would be subjected to an hour of phone calls from people who you know didn't use that train but might have wanted to <laughs> and were, were very concerned about this yeah, or or even just uh, people advocating for like more. In I remember people advocating for more insulated homes. This sticks in my brain. Like, well, is your home insulated? And he was like, well, I'm a renter. And they were like, well, have you asked your landlord to do it? <laughs> because until you get your landlord to do it, mm. I'm gonna think that you're a hypocrite and that you just want attention. So just remember, remember how dismissive everybody has been up until the very moment that all of a sudden it felt dangerous to them. No, nobody told me it was gonna get hot. Well, well, for me, like it was almost like there was like almost some poetry in it, in the sense that like the Range Rover mum. I don't know if any of you guys remember her. Um, yeah, of course, Ra could forget Range Rover mum. Uh, All of who, our wife, who like that, that whole incident happened just out just, just just outside like the Dartford Tunnel, and about like a mile away from where that happened was where like the Heath fires like took place. Where I think you had like at least two homes, at least according to the Kent Messenger, that just completely just got destroyed. Like without, you know, just like, they're all, it's kind of just like crumbling ashes now. You had like those those viral videos of uh, the Heath on fire on like the M25, like leading to that road. So like basically around about, around about um, in, the, in the same place where like the, the Range Rover mum stuff happened was also the site of like one of the worst fires of this week. Um, not that that's been picked up anywhere. Like I went back on the Kent Messenger website this morning to see whether there had been any like follow up, and the leading story was really just pictures of people like enjoying the hot weather yesterday, 
uh, and a, a story about a guy who <laughs> sold a record number of ice creams uh, from his van. So amazing! <laughs> Not even an ice cream man, just a guy. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I, I like to imagine that the Kent Messenger is also just a really overworked guy who's just <laughs> every every day, several times a day, bursting breathless into her saint's house, going, "He's, he's on fire! <laughs> <laughs> you got you got to tell him on the podcast is he's fucked." Because well, you used to have to get your Kent news door to door. And also, I mean, this is. This is a- another little bit as well in the um, legitimate politics part of the show as well, which is that if we think about this, well, the the, the massive sort of um, uh, issues with uh, like you know, as we say, train cancellations, infrastructural and safety, uh, the people whose job it is to try to make all these things work, right? Uh, these are the people whose jobs are supposed to be cut, casualized, devalued, mm. deskilled, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And and when I'm of course talking about like not just rail workers but um, you know ferry workers things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the ferries have got to keep doing donuts. Otherwise, then the doctors can't do their job, and then we're really fucked. <laughs> oh yeah, this is like old lady who swallowed a fly situation, basically. Uh, but that all of these people, right? In in this very moment where there is a uh, let's say step change in the need for infrastructural resilience. The government has now just repealed like the last big law defending trade unions, which is that it's a criminal offense to like hire uh, agency workers. Uh, well, they've repealed that in order to keep our great infrastructure going. Yeah, um, scabbing, it, yeah. scabbing with like unqualified agency temps is now legal, which is yeah. great. I look forward to all of the trains running directly into each other and somehow yeah. sinking a ferry. Also, so at, so at a time when, if anything, keeping the infrastructure. Uh, you might say steady, functional, uh, where maintenance is going to be much, much more important, much, much more high stakes in terms of, do I make it off this train? For example, uh, the government has decided that what they're going to do is um, they're going to allow someone who did like... Yeah, to allow someone who like read a PowerPoint about uh, train track maintenance to just have a go. This guy, are you saying that this man isn't qualified to fix a train? He sold the most ice creams he's ever sold last week. <laughs> That's Look, right. He's got 10 years of experience as the Kent messenger, okay? <laughs> yeah. Should, now, if that guy paired it up with an ice cream delivery business, he'd probably make more money. He's got to visit a lot of homes anyway to tell everyone in Kent what's going on in Kent all day. <laughs> yeah, he sold ice creams as well out of a cool box. Ice cream. Pro- yeah. Exactly, and then people would like the new. They'd be less likely to shoot him. That's for sure. Yeah. We're, oh, we're, we're getting dangerously yeah. close to reinventing the movie The Postman. <laughs> no one has ever needed to come up with the phrase "Don't shoot the ice cream man," because no one would shoot the ice cream man. He's just brought you an ice cream. Now, the messenger, however, people are rightly suspicious of. Yeah, uh-huh. I see what's your. He, t- what's he wearing? Yeah, the messenger never brings treats. So, mm. yeah. what's he wearing them wing sandals for? Is he nuts? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, the oh, uh, the other other thing um, I, I I wanted to sort of uh, ask you to say, please, in that voice, Milo, is to ask mm. the question: uh, Do you have a license for that heat dome? Do you have a license for that heat dome? Ah, thank you. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. They put up a heat dome over Europe. Didn't get planning for it. Council's going to make you take it down. <laughs> oh, you've had some right cowboys in here. The work on this dome. What is that? Is that is that pebble dash? Now you never get that off. No, they would <laughs> like they would never bring up the heat dome because the heat dome implies the existence of a hot boy and uh, yeah. can't have that. Mm. Like, Looking like, on the heat dome and going, that's going to need rescreening. <laughs> uh, look, I, I, I'm going to move. We're moving on from the um, from the, the goings on the of the week, but from all of us uh, being broiled. Think, yeah, yeah the, the the two sort of uh, most important things in terms of like. The future of is this going to be a decent place to live uh, seems to be. Uh, are we able? Wait, to- Britain's a decent place to live. Is this going to be a habitable place to live? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is, Wait, Britain's a habitable place. To live. Is, is this uh, going the- to be a doesn't immediately melt you into the concrete place to live? Oh, I see. <laughs> I keep, I keep, I keep like selling it slightly lower, right? And eventually, I'll get to, I'll get yeah, to something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. Decent. What's good for the ice cream man is good for the country. <laughs> yeah. So look. Yeah, Br- Britain 2050. It's one ice cream man wandering around in like a climate-controlled spacesuit above, in, like in the blasted wastes. Um. And look, the the, the real wept political. For the no more ice creams to sell. 
Yeah, because he was out. Everyone's already bought an ice cream. Yeah, he ran. <laughs> I've sold an ice cream to everyone in the country. Sorry. The ice cream men weeping because there were no more ice creams to sell. You're just describing a man who has sold all the ice cream that he has. <laughs> I'm sure that's pretty common. Yeah, no, no, because you can resupply on ice cream. It's much funnier to be like, there's no more demand for yeah. ice cream. Uh, everyone that's... is sated with ice cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course. Um, yeah, we, we've genetically engineered the perfect ice cream man, and that's how we're responding to the climate crisis. We can rebuild him. We have the technology. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we can make Mr. Whippy the Six real guy. dollar ice oh, cream. No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. But, okay, uh, by the way, what I'm about to say is copyright. You can't, patent can't pending, take it. Patent pending. Yeah, patent pending. Mm. Uh, dark Mr. Whippy movie. About oh, just called Whippy. Yeah, just called Whippy, and it's about, about his origin in Margaret Thatcher's lab. Yeah, I was gonna, yeah exactly. Yeah. And yeah. And then, and then, uh, okay, Whippy, origin in Margaret Thatcher's lab, uh, he hates but then comes to respect his mother, and then, check this out, it's like a version of the postman but for delivering ice cream. Timothy Chalamet as the flake. (laughs) They call it it soft serve, but why is it so hard? Perfect. (laughs) All right, okay, copyright section over, you can copy the rest of any, not that bit. Uh, anything else from the show you can Timothy take. Chalamet is Margaret Thatcher. Okay, copyright that as well. Yeah. Uh, we're, ha- we're keeping all of that. Um, no, no, no. So, it's called Whippy Boy, <laughs> and you'll learn to sell it. Uh, yeah, and interestingly, Milo is now uh, of actually somehow leading the conservative uh, leadership race, having done that perfect Margaret Thatcher I'm, impression. I'm so. so annoyed and depressed that Penny Morden has, been, has lost the conservative leadership election. That's that was a real blow to me. On top of Alice, the heat. Alice, it's made mm. your life a lot easier. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> That's true. It hasn't no, like imperiled no, my no, politics. Or no, anything, because but... if because if if she had become if she had gotten to become the conservative leader and PM, um, Alice could start every section with "I can fix her." That's true. Mm. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Now there's so no, what now was... there's nothing to fix. No. We've gone from Penny Mordaunt to being a, a halfpenny more daunted by the prospect of Liz Truss as Prime Minister. <laughs> six, six months ago, we had you, Hope, yeah. Jobs, and Penny Mordaunt, and now, in 2022, uh-huh. we've got no Hope, no Jobs, and uh, no MILF PM. Terrible. Yeah, and, and no more uh, dint of the effort by which I will support Penny Mordaunt. Uh, no, I was doing a little bit of a summing up before going to the next section, which is that the only things that really matter are uh, the extent to which this is going to be a place you are able to live. And uh, the, the forces sort of work, working on that are um, uh, the climate via yeah, human-caused climate change and the inability to even adapt to it as opposed to, pre- uh, to prevent it. Uh, and then the, uh, the question of, are, are, if, are you as a worker or you as a consumer of a service provided by a worker going to be able to, say, live, get around, feed yourself, be healed, be represented in court, for example, uh, by uh, anyone who is trying to make things work in this increasingly difficult environment. And um, the direct political answer that the Tories have given to the second question, as well as the first one, is uh, no. How about a guy who uh, did a Zoom session? Um, So that is just fantastic. And again, we're going to talk, especially the stuff we're talking about later is a little bit of history, uh, media studies, and uh, us uh, saying we were right the whole time. Uh, but is not strictly speaking politics at this point. Mm. But before we get to that, I do have a couple of things I want to talk about. This is like just a this is a, like a kind of an, an easing Milo back into it episode, getting oh, back okay. into the flow. Um, I've got a couple of paragraphs. Move me up, Riley. I've got a couple of <laughs> paragraphs here. In. This one is from the Center for Social Justice, Ian Duncan Smith's ironically named think tank. Um, is it better or worse than his book? Uh, I, I'm still waiting on his book, to yeah, be we'll honest. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Our, our fearless correspondent has obtained a copy and is now reading mm. it first before sending it to you. I, I need him to send it to me quickly because I need, I, I need, to, I need to be done reading it. It is weighs on me like uh, a sort of, a sort yeah. of Damocles. The bad anticipation of, is the worst part. Yeah. You know what it is? It's a horrible book of Damocles that's sort of that's like <laughs> yeah the book is like suspended above you yeah yeah but it's then, suspended open with yeah. the pages being turned in front of your eyes so you have to read it yeah yeah just uh, uh, like water torture but with a bad book um and then uh, everyone says oh Riley do you, the TF loves to torture Nish Kumar with the bad he only has to deal with it for an hour it takes me a few hours to sk- to, to summarize the thing no uh Steve uh, Stephen um uh, 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 Ian Duncan Smith's uh, Center for Social Justice has written the following paragraph. I'm going to read this and then another paragraph, and then I'm going to talk about what we're really talking about. This, the, the Center for Social Justice goes, By denying prisoners the opportunity to gain the benefits made possible by education, 
We are fostering a ticking time bomb of reoffending. Sure, many prisoners that's have true. never many prisoners have neither used nor held a digital device ever, which is a chilling sentence. Just used the idea nor held. Just that that the idea that so much of your life has been stolen from you that like you that it's like you have never even held these things that have become very basic for like how we live now. Oh, yeah. it, it's naive, isn't it, that they think that prison isn't absolutely full of mobile phones. <laughs> 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 it's like it's equally dystopian and funny. Yeah. So, sort uh, of pr- yeah. prisoner holding two tiny mobile phones and like going, no, never, never seen a phone in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Them like presenting a prisoner with a Sony Ericsson Walkman phone and being like, you've probably never seen one of these. And he like puts down his iPhone 13 that he's currently on a call with. <laughs> he's like, what? <laughs> I, I like the idea more that he's just not a grass. And so they're like, do you know what this is? Like, nah, nah. never seen it before <laughs> nah. in your life. I have no idea what that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, digitally excluded without qualifications and unready for the workplace, prisoners are more likely to slide back into a life of crime. A phased sure. introduction of online learning using in-cell technology would transform prisoner rehabilitation. That's in-cell, not in-cell technology. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so um, th- there's a very, there's a very sharp turn at the last sentence, right? Because it goes, uh, education in prison is important and necessary. True. Uh, a lot of prisoners like don't have a lot of technological experience, aren't very technologically literate, which is a hindrance to getting jobs and stuff. True. Therefore, and I think this is the unspoken bit, we should replace uh, out-of-cell education, which is very expensive, with just go on your fucking little like uh, knock-off iPad in your cell, yeah. which is much cheaper and also much worse for you. Yeah, like like it's definitely like the uh, the Cinco, like the fake company uh, from Tim and Eric that makes all of the like awful tablets or whatever. It costs seven thousand pounds each and has barely any functionality. Is this the same initiative by which we'll be getting some very special podcasts uh, beamed yeah, well, into prisons? Yes, it is. I'll be Amazing. getting to that in a sec. Uh, but also, I'd, I'd like to add, of course, I think I want to clarify at least what I, what I believe, which is that it's uh, important is that uh, education in prisons is important and necessary as a thing to humanize which is a, why it uh, shouldn't be fucking thing. fobbed yeah. off onto like a, an iPad or whatever yeah exactly it's it, it, if this dehumanizing and horrible thing is going to be happening this is a a, a thing that makes the awful uh, unnecessary thing better see that's, yeah, that's prisons, the thing prisons are bad but if you want to have prisons then you've got to stand behind your thing of actually making them places where you can rehabilitate people uh, yeah, exactly. and not just yes. make people worse yeah, yeah. absolutely uh, but that's the no. thing that's we've talked about this before in like other contexts but it's part of the Tories relentless commitment to austerity that even the place that makes you miserable and immiserated is so cut in terms of funding and stuff that it can't even do that efficiently it has to make you miserable in a different slightly more humiliating way and and, and this is from a magazine called Inside Time which as far as I, mean, I can I tell is a magazine for prisoners it literally is um, yes. <laughs> A lifestyle magazine. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, ten no. ten tips for giving your cell that summer look. It's, it's the the weekly online and monthly printed national newspaper for prisoners and detainees, but it seems to mostly be for guards. I can't really tell. Like I've been trying to <laughs> no, they, figure they, it they out. I, I like the addition of and detainees. <laughs> Someone wrote in and was like, "What about detainees? Are we allowed to read this?" Um. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, look. It's if you want to like just peek into a very specific corner of the internet. Inside Time does have a forum, uh, Uh-oh. so you can look at that. But no. So this is what in, they wrote in Inside Time. In its new strategy, HMPPS, the prison service, uh, pledged to make prisons quote fit for the internet era. Commitments include developing a plan for digital education in prisons and starting to deliver it, providing new desktop and laptop computers for for prison staff, with fourteen jails to receive the devices by Christmas and replacing outdated software by twenty twenty four. All of this has come together, of course, to lead to one place, which Hussein shared with me. This is from uh, someone we talked about years ago, but haven't talked about very recently. Yeah, one of like the OG, one of the OG TF like opponents uh, from back in the day yeah. when we like recorded from basements and stuff. When we had ops, <laughs> he very he very briefly made it into the discourse in the last few months because he was the author of the viral Molly May interview in which she said everyone has the same twenty four hours. In the I day. also think he kind of responded to us when we had like put an episode where he was kind of featured in it. Like he didn't listen to the episode, but he did respond to like either the TF account or Riley or me or one of like some he responded to someone because we felt because I found it very very funny but it was just like this guy who is like quite like he's more famous now than he was back then but like he's like clearly a lot more famous than us is like it's very easy to get under his skin yeah 
So well, one of our haters, <laughs> yeah, basically, what one of one of our our haters who gives us all energy, uh, Stephen Bartlett, uh, former I believe CEO of Social Chain, like a uh, sort of a. Uh, fucking like one of these, one of these places that would make a Facebook group that's like, oh, Newcastle Freshers yeah, were, Week, and then be well, like, get Oakley's. This is this this is sort of important. Like, his, his, I, and I won't like go too much into the origin story, but like, social chain is important as like a piece of history as to like how the internet is the way it is because his company. Well, the company that he was running with his friends was one of the first to sort of realize that you could kind of make loads of like viral content by just continually pumping shit out. And by gaming like Facebook's like algorithms to uh, to uh, so so that it would then like increase your kind of the uh, the frequency at which like it was like shown something yeah uh, like so basically like if you're thinking about how shit just gets on the internet and how it proliferates into people's timelines whether they want to see it or whether they search for it or not social chain is very much like one of the reasons why that happens. So th- with all that being said, all that background together, I bring you. Probably one of the most deranged LinkedIn posts I've ever read. He's such a perfect idiot, Stephen Bartlett. He's fascinating. He says, I have some wonderful news to share. Heart emoji. The Diary of a CEO podcast, which, by the way, has featured Matt Hancock on it. Yes. Uh, is now streaming to thousands of young people and adults in prisons up and down the country. Oh, Fantastic. Right. The Hustle podcast about... Rise and grind. (laughs) We can't let you out of the cell for like more than an hour a day, but what we can do is teach you how to be a girl boss. Yeah, we can teach you... We like This this idiot in like uh, a fedora and a turtleneck is going to like teach you about how to, you know, instead of going back to a life of reoffending, how to make money off of like, I don't know, um, referral links to your blog, basically. You know, like a CEO would. Would you like to listen to this computer idiot? Yeah, Yeah, you can game the forums on Inside Time with your Amazon affiliate link and you use it to make money while you sleep. (laughs) Uh, He says, I have some wonderful news to share. The Diary of a CEO podcast is now streaming to thousands of young people and adults to prison cells up and down the country. Today, I can announce uh, (laughs) that that this show is being provided to thousands of young people and adults with inspirational content via in-cell technology. I've had the and, and also like inspir what most you think they fucking need yeah, that's incel incel technology. Yeah. <laughs> also I, the, the 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 idea that you need inspirational like uh you know work 25 hours a day to you know make contacts with a referral network or whatever or um do advertising on a Facebook page uh is I mean the thing is like not 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 to say too much to Stephen Bartlett's credit that is kind of one of the only industries that's left mm. right yeah. Is just it's this also kind of funny thing. the idea that you can be hustling from prison, like just a very like a guy again, who's which just again, like you can, yeah, oh, you yeah. really can. I you mean, can work of, very hard in prison. If anything, prisons have fascinating internal economies where a lot of people are really coming up with innovative ways to yeah. make money or cigarettes or whatever it may be. But um, the idea that like from prison you could be like sending marketing emails <laughs> and being like, I am currently in prison. However, <laughs> hear me out on this pitch. Look, I may be in prison. I may be a Spanish prisoner, however, I do have an offer you can't refuse. Uh, I, think, I think this is something that, like, Tory MPs were trying to do when they go to prison. Like, whenever a Tory MP gets done for any of the many, many things that they do, and they, get, they go to prison for a few years, I think they're always like, they either write a book or they try to become an entrepreneur inside. So, you know, this is good. This is sort of a little bit of, like, a little bit of politics happening here. White Power Dave gave me a fascinating idea. About arbitrage of the prices of cigarettes in different <laughs> wings of the prison. At which point I put my Oxford mind to work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, well, going back to like what, what you said earlier, Hussein, right? That the the actual economic activity represented by Stephen Bartlett is at best a kind of um, spam advertising, um, and then also, of course, the lifestyle of being a boss generally. Well, this is the thing about social chain as well, because like one of the controversies around them and it's like documented quite well in a piece that uh, Luke Bailey like post uh, did like a long time ago is that like they don't the way in which they sort of arrive at their numbers and like the way in which like they sort of ascertain their value like is still very is still very much like shrouded in like mystery like no one really knows even in the industry like how they are like why they valued themselves so highly like how they kind of like said that they were a lot more effective in other social media organizations when they weren't 
Um, but at the time when they were sort of at their peak around about 2013 to 15, um, because you have like so much money being thrown around these like digital media economies and spaces, like no one's really asking any questions. So he does very well out of that. He comes out like fairly early. He then follows the whole like angel investor route. Um, and he's kind of been able to basically develop his own personal brand uh, in the UK, which is now sort of culminated in one of these kind of like, and you see them on YouTube all the time and like TikTok and stuff as well. These types of channels that are for like lack of a better term, like grind set channels. Like they don't really kind of give you anything of value. They don't really sort of teach you anything. I li- I've, w- I've listened to a few episodes of his podcast after the Molly May thing. And like what's remarkable about it is that like, for the amount of time that you spend listening to it, it really doesn't kind of give you very much as a listener. Well, that's I, I had a thought about that, which is everyone kind of knows that I feel, but I love the idea of like someone who doesn't, someone who thinks that this grind set stuff will teach you to be a successful businessman, and is like you can't beam that into prisons because you'll make them too good at crime. Well, also, but all, if, you, if, yeah, you, but- if you go in there for dealing drugs and you learn about secrets of a CEO, <laughs> eventually you're going to be so much better at dealing drugs when you come out. It's irresponsible. I wake up at four a.m. I call my business <laughs> associates. We discuss what gear we've got coming in at Felixstowe Port this week. At that point, I read five books about stabbing. <laughs> the thing is, his podcast doesn't even do that. Like you listen to it about, like you listen to. I've listened to the ones where, like, these are apparently like business secrets and everything, and there are like no business secrets in there except for like it sort of just goes be like the the furthest it ever really goes is like, oh, you also need to build like a really good brand so that people trust you in this like you know uh, this very sort of like. Uh, uh, like overcrowded market, but the thing about prisons is that like it's not an overcrowded market. In fact, if anything, oh, it's like, pretty overcrowded. It's, well, yeah, okay, fine, but it's <laughs> like, but but you know, in terms of like the the problems that he supposedly identifies, none of them really kind of. Um, even like in a prison economy, they don't really apply unless like some guy who's selling spice decides that he wants to like uh, overtake another person selling spice by uh, adding like very cute twee British copy. To like his sales. I mean, the Great British Spice Company. I, <laughs> I, I would listen to the reverse of this. I would listen to management secrets of like HMP Pentonville or whatever. Oh, like yeah. it was broadcast yeah. outwards. Mm. I, I'd love that. But and the thing, the the, the thing to, to see this as is, is a couple, right? It's I think number one, this is a case of a guy hooking himself up to the big government money hose, right? Of just and, and, and number two, I think it's the case of the of the government. Where can I find this hose? The government <laughs> itself. Well, uh, apparently he did. Uh, the government itself. Uh, or in this sense, at least, like the um, the, the way that we're sort of set up to think about crime and punishment and rehabilitation and stuff, sort of also betrays like, yeah, if you would think that you'd think this would work if you thought that crime was just a choice made by lazy people and they need to learn how to hustle. But also, it, I think it really is an indication that yeah, this was kind. He did the main thing that you could do in the economy in 2013. I mean, having people hear business secrets from him, you might as well have them doing like a fidget spinner building class. Um, and um, even then, that's more current. Uh, but also, now he's just doing the thing that you do now, which is building a personal brand, talking about how great you are, and then he's teaching everyone else to build a personal brand and talk about how great they are. So he's training a, a generation of people whose main, yeah. basically main thing is just going to be like, well, okay, I guess my, I'm going to go on my, Instagram. British- my brand, if you like, it's mostly stealing car exhausts. <laughs> I think that's really... That's the space I operate in. If uh, you know, I've branched out into some other things, but my core brand identity is catalytic converter based. <laughs> but, but British prisons' external value mostly is as a marketing aid for people who are not in prison. I find, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, we we use a bit of prison labour, but I feel like most of what they're there for, and like sort of labour terms, is to allow you to, you know. Open yeah. a restaurant or like send them in podcasts, and no one really thinks to ask. You know, is this helping anyone? Do the people in prison like it? Instead, you just sort of that—that's a very quick way to become a saint in this country, which is yeah. very, yeah. very weird considering well, <laughs> the prevailing atmosphere for criminals and for prisons. Well, the other thing to bear in mind also is that it's not just prisons that are kind of getting like con- basically basically licensing content out as like substitutes to actual education. Um, schools are doing it as well, right? Like colleges hmm. are doing it. Does the um, prison resemble the school? <laughs> and <laughs> and I, and I think like with with Stephen Bartlett's stuff, like it's really representative of like you know for for lack of like a better term, like the kind of the government approach to any kind of public education. Um, over like the past decade, right? Which is fundamentally to kind of like, well, number one, to strip it down to like its kind of cheapest possible iteration. Um, Zoom call. 
uh well yeah basically that and like on the content creators end is very much the idea that like you know the thing about the grind set podcast is that they're extremely easy to do these types of interview formats are extremely extremely easy to do the people who go on them know that the purpose of it is just to sort of like amplify their brands the guys who like host it are doing the same thing and in turn you just end up having this sort of very weird product where you're watching two people basically tell each other how great and how smart they are and how no one really understands them um and then you're sort of sending it into like prisons where instead of sort of like getting education or even access to stuff like libraries because bear in mind that like libraries across prisons have basically been decimated as well Mm -hmm. um so the only things that they really have left to kind of like watch two people talk about how great they are and how misunderstood they are um and that sort of classifies as education because it's like you know it's not cartoons and it's not like classic entertainment like it's not films and stuff so they can like justify you know it can be justified for it to be there it's just i don't know is it it's it's incredibly soapy and it's also just like the kind of natural conclusion of what this type of content is supposed to do and serve Mm. I, I want to move on uh, a, a little bit to our uh, Labor Party section, uh, or as I call it, the Christmas of uh, bitter recriminations. My stockings are full. Uh, they are hung by the mm. fire with care. Yeah, We, and, we were right. Uh, we've yeah. been right about everything we've ever said, uh, except for that one time. You should always <laughs> listen to us. You should always trust us. We have never said anything that's ever been incorrect. Uh, yeah, where uh, well, do, shall we go right into the Ford report, or shall we talk about, uh, talk about uh, Neil, Neil Coyle? Let's talk about Neil yeah. a bit. Uh, so this is this is uh, sorry. We, we we had a lot of sort of uh, full length interview subjects last week, so we're sort of catching up a bit. Um, this is a uh, a a, a notes app post made by uh, not notes app, but some post made by Neil Coyle. Uh, I, I think he made the a inventor of the IUD. In, uh, yeah, that's right. In uh, in, in Labor List, <laughs> one of these things. Mm. Uh, where and if you may recall, Neil Coyle uh, was uh, sort of publicly shamed for racially abusing uh, lobby journalist and former guest of this show, Henry Dyer. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a Labour yeah. MP or was a Labour yeah. MP, uh, and and was like publicly very racist. Yeah. Uh, so it, this is what he said. This is this is what he said. He said, but it, it, he said I was I was drinking up to you know twelve drinks a day. I couldn't get up without a drink, and it's like oh surprise. Um, and he says mm-hmm. by the time I stopped, I was routinely drinking a dozen or more pints an evening. Uh, so giving Paddy Losty a run for his money. Oh, he's trying to get drafted into the royal family. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to drink his way in. It's one of the few. It's one of the only ways a commoner can get elevated to prince status is by day drinking that hard. Yeah, you got you got to get drinked in. Uh, yeah, that's right. You've got to be drinking eight drinks before 11 a.m. or you can't become a royal. Uh, the volume meant I could not stop cold turkey, but had to reduce gradually. Drinking undoubtedly affected my demeanor and attitude and contributed to my own suspension from the Labour Party earlier this year for aforementioned racial abuse. This investigation linked to the expulsion. Suspension means I'm prohibited from speaking publicly. Uh, Drinking in no way excuses my bad behavior, but it should not take a public scandal before someone is able to access help to stop drinking. When first elected in 2015, I'd have occasional drinks at work, uh, but the constant battles within labor and attacks on me from the former leader's cronies, as well as the trade union leader for daring to speak out against anti-Semitism, all contributed to me, all contributed. Um, and, and, and he's like, yeah, Corbin made me an alcoholic. Jer- 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 Jeremy Corbin put shit in my pants. Look, I mean, look, yeah. there's no shame in being an alcoholic. Uh, you know, uh, he's right about a lot of the stuff that he says. However, being an alcoholic doesn't make you racist automatically. Jeremy Corbyn did not make you be racist to that guy. Um, it, it, it's just, it's, it's so self-exculpatory. Just, just Jeremy Corbyn is like the Grim Reaper in that meme where he's just like knocking on doors with like blood coming out <laughs> of them. And then it's like, and then it's like Raphael Bear, the door is open. Yeah. You see like a dead foot poking through there. And then it's like Neil Coyle is the next door. Yeah. Uh, so it's the, the idea here uh, basically is that, yeah, it's, he just got so mad uh, that Corbyn was there, that he was uh, in the party, uh, that people weren't really listening to him or excited about him, that uh, it drove him to drink, uh, which is... I don't, um, I don't yeah. think that alcoholism is as like, directly causative as that. I think it's... I don't know, it feels grotesquely irresponsible and factional to try and use even this, even your own sort of, like humiliation as a weapon to kick against a guy who's been out of power for years to be like no 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 it wasn't me it was him it was his fault what i'm concluding from this is i think neil coyle in blaming uh sort of in in no small part blaming like stress caused by like the corbin cronies the momentum thugs and having him turn to drink 
I think he may be the first gang stalked member of parliament. He's <laughs> finally tar- yeah. targeted individuals have representation at the highest levels of politics. Jeremy Corbyn uh, has been like following him around, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whispering, "You should, you should be racist to that journalist." Yeah. To him, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Him and his momentum thugs. Uh, mm-hmm. No, no, I, I want to get to the real, the, the real meat and potatoes of the of the labor discussion. Um, I do have momentum thugs. It's just such a funny concept. Yeah, it's just like huge bouncer built guys with no neck. <laughs> who are like, like, don't see your pronouns on your badge, mate. Yeah, mo- <laughs> momentum was a sort of a very vegan tray bakes sort of organization. Mm. So you know, th- th- their commitment to so- relentless psychological terror and thuggery was quite a shock to me. Yeah. Listen, sunshine. If this isn't fucking decolonized by next week, <laughs> I'm going to come back. <laughs> And you're not going to like what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring some of my friends, respected BIPOC academics, <laughs> and they're going to give a blistering critique of a lot of the artifacts you've got in here. Um, yeah, I, I mean, one thing I do always note, right, is that the, um, we talked about this yesterday, but it's worth, re- not yesterday, last, last week in the free episode, but it's worth remembering, is that the, what, this, what this period in British politics, what the left was like, is remembered as worse and worse and worse, the worse things get. Because the choice retroactively, retrospectively, always has to have been the right one. Yeah, sure. For yeah. these sensible liberals, right? Sure, we had to, I had to have voted for Boris because the alternative was Jeremy Corbyn. And the worse Boris gets, the worse Corbyn has to get for that to make sense. Yeah, the alternative was free broadband, and so we can't we can't have allowed that. Yeah, of course. so it has to have presumably been free broadband, and also like everyone would be murdered. Yeah, of course. Mm. So this is this is this is what I say. This is the Ford report on the leaked the the Ford report on the veracity and circumstances of the leaked report that came out in 2020 after many long delays has finally been released. Which we knew was true because it was made by the Labour Party, <laughs> and the people trying to deny it were all people involved in the Labour. Party. Uh, so, um, it it has dropped. Yeah, the, the 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 inquiry into the report into the report of the inquiry as to whether or not there are shit in that guy's pants and whether or not yeah. Jeremy Corbyn put it there is finally out. Now this is Soviet. We're about to get our own comrade Dyatlov here. <laughs> so, and, and, and to the Americans listening, uh, I'm sorry that we've been so British politicsy recently. Uh, but the British need to be reminded that uh, uh, that they weren't cr- the British listeners. Anyway, need to be reminded that they weren't crazy. What they experienced in 2018, uh, from sort of 2015 to 2019, was real. That they should should believe their lying eyes, uh, even though a lot of people are sort of looking at the Ford report and saying, "Ah, yes." This makes some very sort of tortured efforts at even-handedness. Yeah, uh, l- l- point, let me sort uh, of yeah. briefly summarize please, the, please, the please. deal of the Ford Report. The Ford Report is like, uh, one side said that uh, anti-Semitism was being used as a factional weapon against the leader of the Labour Party, which was bad, and the other side was using anti-Semitism as a factional weapon to attack the leader of the Labour Party, which was also bad. Therefore, both sides are equally bad. Uh, and that is, I say, probably one of the more major conclusions of the report. Right? It says that um, essentially, it says both sides were guilty of weaponizing anti-Semitism, pretty much as as you say, Alice. That the right did definitely see it as a uh, a weak point in a way to attack the leadership, uh, and then the leadership said, "Hey, those guys are weaponizing it." Uh, and then the report says, by failing to take the problem seriously, yeah, they it, both... The, the thing is, if, if, if you just do something so atrocious that uh, even accusing someone of it is in itself a, a terrible thing to do, then, you know, it's perfect, it's bulletproof, because then, the second you go, wait a second, you're, uh, you, you, you just shit in your own pants. You're like, by accusing, by accusing that guy of shitting in his pants, you have, like, disclaimed all of your authority and all of your moral leadership. However, of course, it by one thing I think it's important that that this report does, though, even though again, like I say, it makes this very strange, tortured effort at even-handedness, um, uh, it, where it's not, I don't think, warranted, uh, is that it does recognize in out in the media in a document that is very difficult to be ignored. I mean, look, all these people are ignoring it anyway, or uh, sort of interpreting it in, let's say, a very partial way. Oh yeah, but the thing is, you, you, you can read whatever you want into it, but then we'll get a report on the report of the findings of the report that will say, well, one side said that they were just, you know, reading whatever they wanted into it, and the other side were reading whatever they wanted into it, so they were equally bad. But, but in, in this case, right, what it does say is something that really couldn't have been said 
in mainstream British uh, publications. It said, "Until Corbyn was gone, that was the thing. That's that's the only that's the only thing." Yeah, but they, they that couldn't be said. Which is, yes, the labor right were weaponizing this thing, uh, and that before if you said that earlier, you'd get called a uh, you know crank or conspiracy theorist or whatever. But here it is in an un- in undeniable, plain written English. They had a bell. That's that's my favorite example of the like fucked new uh, like National Union of Students sort of like culture in the labor right is they had a big bell in the compliance department and whenever they got someone who they considered to be a trot expelled or suspended from the party uh, on whatever grounds however tendentious one of them would ring the bell. It's, it's like it's like the fucking kids' cancer ward where one of them goes into remission and they get to ring the bell. It's just a it's bunch like, of nerds. Yeah. Phenomenal. Absolutely incredible. Um, and they must, given the numbers of expulsions, they must have done this around a thousand times, which is just imagine working in the same office and you just oh, yeah. hear it's the like fucking being in the nerd Navy. bell. Yeah. It's constant bell. <laughs> there was, but yeah, there was one month where they got rid of the bell so that when you went to go and uh, hit the bell, it wouldn't be there and you'd have to talk to uh, your fellow Labour HQ uh, uh, colleagues about mental health. By saying no, but so they, they hit the bell in a big box. Yeah, they, they said no, no bell. bell. No bell. <laughs> it's it's no bell when it comes to mental yeah, health. They were given a prize for that. Uh, so the no bell prize. God damn it! <laughs> My love is that none of you picked up. <laughs> no, he's I thought back. I thought that was implicit already. Yeah, he's I, back. Yeah, no. he's okay. um, yeah. I, I was looking at my notes here. Uh, anyway, so like I say, right, the other thing I think is important about the report, uh, not as a, a bit of sort of relitigating uh, its contents, although, you know, I think if you read its contents and consider the context of, for example, um, what the me- how the media sort of kept interpreting these, uh, you might say, faction- the factional disputes inside the party that the report considers, um, essentially sort of comes down to among um, they, that, that, that was a completely dysfunctional organization, true, uh, that it was... That a lot of the complaints processes were also dysfunctional. That and that sort of certain accusations that the leader was interfering in the process to like get Ken Livingston back in the party or whatever were sort of were kind of not really either not true or not done um, uh, maliciously. Like things of that. Like, it is a very detailed legal document about an organization that clearly doesn't function very well because a bunch of people who weren't elected by it disagreed with the fact that everyone who joined elected someone they didn't like. And again, it is unable to see beyond the you should have played nicer together bit of it rather than the, um, you might say, profound anti-democratic implications of everything that went on. The Labour right, as much as they like to think of themselves as the establishment of the Labour Party, are best understood as an entryist phenomenon. And that's the best way of understanding the Ford Report is to like, look at this as a group of entryists who are inside an organisation whose aims they are explicitly like, trying to sabotage. It's important to remember as well, in back to the sort of uh, pox on both your houses thing about weaponizing anti-Semitism, um, is that like, uh, is that if you remember right, there it's there was anti-Semitism in the party. The uh, by, by uh, less than one percent of, of people were under it. Less than point one percent of people, I believe, were under investigation for it. But it, the, the leaked report said yes, it's being taken seriously. Uh, and then the uh, but then you know by saying ah, uh, uh, the pox on both your houses is because. Yes, uh, elements of the right were weaponizing it, but elements of the left were totally in denial and said it wasn't a problem at all. Which, again, if you're kind of looking at the formal logic of balancing two extreme viewpoints, yeah, does make sense. But if you take a look at the fact that, for example, I believe uh, studies were done at the time that showed that ordinary members of the public, when asked how many, what percentage of labor members they thought were under investigation for anti-Semitism, said, gave an average answer of about 30% versus, point, well, I believe, 0.06%. It was the actual number, right? And so, and so, I think that by looking at the report, in, by look the, in the Ford report, looking entirely just at matters internal to the party, which of course it would. It was written by a lawyer with a very lawyerly brief. Yeah, that, that that was its yeah. remit, sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's sort of it, and by it, it sort of even-handedness kind of obscures the actual effect of this stuff, especially right when we say, oh yeah, the disciplinary process wasn't really being improperly interfered with by the leader's office. Um, when that was the subject of like a, a huge number of these sort of uh, uh, of complaints, right? When that was the subject of a lot of the uh, panic that was created around the whole the whole scenario, right? It was oh yes, the leader is interfering in all the, in all all this stuff and so on and so on, and that was used to create a common sense idea that it was going to be dangerous 
for uh, minorities, especially Jews in Britain, to elect a uh, labor government led by Jeremy Corbyn, right? And that, and that taking this in terms in by looking further at, at its formal definition of well, some did this, some did that. No one treat, no one took the problem seriously. You sort of miss the political effects. Yeah, I you miss the you forest sort of, for the trees, right? Yeah, and exactly. Not least because you can't look at a whole bunch of trees that are in national newspapers, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so you're left to look at what this like handful of weird nerds were able to achieve within the party, which was a lot. It transpires. So essentially, right, the umbrella of weaponizing this thing uh, is sort of what? What do we mean by weaponizing? I think that's not exactly clear. Uh, so yeah, it looks just, like, like yeah. you know, uh, cynically using uh, sort of claims that you know are false or exaggerating. Uh, mm. The extent of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, yeah. in order to remove Jeremy Corbyn in particular on the left more broadly from positions of power, which is we now know what was done, right? That that happened. Yeah, and again, it's not to say that there was that there was none, but you can't you can't you can't you have to square that circle between 006 percent of members were under investigation versus 30%. Consider yeah. it this way: uh, the sort of the weaponization of of this rhetoric of anti-Semitism was such that it was more of a hindrance to removing anti-Semites from the Labour Party than it was a help, right? Because every single possible accusation is now tainted by that cynicism. And it becomes very easy for someone who is anti-Semitic and is in the Labour Party to say, this is a factional thing. Even if that person is a minority of a minority of a tiny minority statistically, uh, that then you know it, it it provides more cover than it provides exposure. And I think the, the what you have to also remember, right, is that the is that is that we are saying, well, if for the whole time this was an institutional problem, right? And you know you want well, how do you define what an institutional problem is? And I think again that the the report itself importantly tells you it show tells you your lying eyes uh, were telling you the truth, right? Which is yes, this was happening. But it was it is unable to, it is unable to I think take into account its full political implications. But I, I want to talk about a few more of the um the things the report said, uh, which again is that um racism in the party, uh, especially against like um uh, black and uh and and South Asian uh, members uh, and and staff, racism in the party was not experienced by individuals solely through acts of uh, microaggression towards them personally. It was experienced through seeing colleagues being passed over promotion, being the only person from an ethnic minority background at a meeting table, or being managed uh, by a near-exclusively white senior team and hearing the particular disdain which colleagues reserve for, for example, ethnic minority MPs, counselors, and Labour Party members. Yeah, which, which, again, is one of those things that, like, even to someone who is not in the Labour Party, to someone who, like, pays only a cursory amount of politics, is something that is obvious. And that's that's one of the sort of abiding features of the Ford report for me is that a lot of the a lot of the stuff about racism in the Labour Party, a lot of the stuff about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, what was happening was obvious to people who were paying like a little bit of attention, and then there was a massive campaign to try and obscure it from them. Absolutely, uh, and 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 again, if you said, "Oh, the Labour Party is institutionally racist towards Diane Abbott," for example, you get called a you would get called a fantasist or a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, absolutely. If, yeah. If you said that the Labour Party uh, uh, elements in the Labour Party were, um, so let's say, if not, if not necessarily, I don't think that the Ford report says it shows that they tried to throw the twenty the the twenty seventeen election on purpose. Well, that, that's that the strange thing. A, yeah. yeah what, what it says is that they were they were uh, trying to achieve the same uh, the same goals by different means, which is a hysterical sort of piece of equivocation. Yeah. Well, I, th I think what the the picture it's painting is of a party unable to work together and working at cross purposes, not two sides, and not sort of just uh, that that we literally these people do want to beat one another. It's yeah. just one happened to be elected, <laughs> and then one, one had a democratic mandate, and the other had you know their phony baloney jobs. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's just the I think fundamentally right. It shows uh, the. Contempt for which the British political class uh, treats basically everyone who lives here, uh, and whether yeah, that is whether that's if you want to have your democratic preferences expressed uh, in the way that again you think that you probably ought to if you live in a liberal democracy, uh, or whether that is um, if you are a um, black or brown person and just want to get on with your day normally, 
Uh, there is uh, no shortage of contempt for you uh, in the British higher echelons of British politics. Uh, again, we tried for there not to be that. Uh, and then the forces of uh, wanting there to be that contempt uh, proved to be uh, extremely strong. So, so where does yeah. that leave us then, Riley? What does that, what does that leave us with uh, on, on the left? What do you think about the Labour Party? Uh, I mean, I don't think... I, th I think um, uh, my... I very rarely make my opinions on uh, the loser party for nerds clear. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, look, where does that leave us? I think that leaves us where we were talking about at the beginning. The political fight is not between... Uh, Labour and the Tories are different factions of Labour, uh, at least not for a while. The political fight is between, say, uh, the uh, union workers and the companies who've now been um, uh, uh, authorized to replace them with agency workers. Mm. You know, maybe um, uh, is is there a chance that the parliamentary Labour Party, if sort of Starmer is swept into power by default, reverses that? They don't have a habit of reversing these kind of things, but you know, but uh, is that something they could be pressured to do? I mean, they're still linked to the unions, maybe. You know, so it's the but political change is I think is we have to say is like not going to come from these organizations that are very resistant to change and when change almost broke through one they did their best to unbreak that change through so okay well they have to be forced and how do they how do they get forced is through collective power how does collective power get wielded largely through unions uh, or voluntary organizations like tenants unions. Uh, by making sure that Liz Truss is elected Tory absolutely. leader. Absolutely. <laughs> by making sure that Liz Truss is elected Tory leader, Please, and so no. all of us die in a nuclear firestorm <laughs> gonna, 22 minutes after she takes office. We are going to turn Buckingham Palace into a huge pork market, and that is what we can <laughs> promise you. Uh, absolutely. Um, all right, I think that's probably about it for today, for us. Uh, so I'm, I'm, quite, say, I'm quite depressed now, remembering this time that we got owned, and we got... We, we got Effortlessly played by some of the dumbest motherfuckers in the world. We lost. We lost a game of chess to somebody who would ask every move, "Which way does the horsey go?" Text six of their mates a racial slur and then leak that group fucking that group chat to a journalist. How? How did we do yeah, this? Well, actually, like speaking of journalists, like that's one thing we haven't really spoken about very much, um, which is kind of like the role of like media people and mm. uh, like the positions that they sort of now hold. Uh, in relation to this, I think like the lesson that at least I took away from this, like I was less, you know, this this could you you could you could have like framed this, and there are some people who are still trying to frame it, media people in particular, as like, oh, this is just like a is a factional issue, and like the Labour Party is to do with like different bureaucracies fighting each other, and like you know actually, uh, there's you know, there's, uh, I I don't know how like the, the way the horse goes in chess because I have no horse in this race, uh, but in reality, like. Both, like a lot of those journalists, I don't know whether I should name them, but they definitely did kind of like at least uh, kind of work in conjunction with forces that were trying to undermine uh, not only like, you know, left wing people in the Labour Party, but momentum and crucially just like younger people who like were um, for the first time, like fairly enthusiastic about like left wing politics. Um, and like what's I guess like one of the things that is kind of depressing to me, like reading all this stuff is just the fact that like for a lot of those journalists, like they've sort of been left, they've, they've sort of been like, you know, uh, what's like, they've been like let off the hook maybe. Um, yeah. they can kind of like sure. claim, they can kind of like feign ignorance. Um, in a lot of cases when like it's like, it's been brought up to them by people on Twitter, they just like either ignore it. Like in the case of David Aronovich, which is kind of quite funny. Uh, he has, he sort of like doubled down on, uh, actually, like you know, the Ford report like vindicates everything that the labor right did, and if you can't see that, then like you're stupid. But it's that very classic media thing of this like um, choosing what they want to see, regardless of like what the actual report shows. Deciding that like they're going to learn nothing from it, um, and just kind of like getting on with it, and just I mean, ultimately, just more proof that like they didn't really care like what they didn't really kind of care if like the Conservative Party, even if they didn't vote for the Conservative Party, they didn't really care that they, they didn't get into power, right? As long as like their kind of like factional war was kind of conceivably won um, to the point where like now some of them like are you like have used like anti-Semitic, like actual like anti-Semitic slurs um, in one case uh, being like accused or like, uh, I don't know whether you guys saw like the Keir Starmer, um, the thing where like they used the Holocaust, like his kind of trip to the Holocaust Memorial as like a uh, campaign fodder. 
And then yes. like when there was like right, like rightfully backlash towards that, like some journalists being like, oh, like, you know, this is in such bad faith. And like, you know, how can you read it like this? Kids done so much to kind of like, you know, uh, fit, you know, heal the party. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, in, even if we sort of like take it by your, even if we, even if we like choose to believe that, like, but like he's done it to kind of like heal the mess that you guys have made. Right. And I don't know, like throughout, like just watching this whole thing and I haven't like paid like much attention to the, like the Ford report, like uh, backlash this week, just cause I've had other stuff going on, but like, it just sort of yeah, seemed being on fire. That's right. Uh, I've been my, my house has been on fire. Um, but like the ultimate, the, the kind of thing that at least I've sort of taken away from it is like, oh, like British media personalities and institutions are kind of just choosing to just like not engage with any of this, despite the fact that like a few years ago we were told that this is the most important political issue and like the ugliness of you know, uh, yeah, you know, I'm sorry to sort of like go on for ages about this. But, it, you know, it's, but I just like remember like those headlines, which were, which, which kind of suggested or where, where, where they were trying to make the argument that like, oh, this isn't actually about like, you know, party politics or like whether or not we like Corbyn. Actually, we just want to like, uh, defeat this, defeat the beast of like racism that, um, is taking over our society. And this just happens to be really, um, really present in the Labour Party. And like, after they seemingly won that battle on their terms, they just decided like that none of it mattered anymore. Yeah, it just goes back in the box, right? The campaign against anti-Semitism is now firmly back in the box. And having criticized Keir Starmer once, uh, you now get uh, like sort of center-left and liberal journalists asking on Twitter, hey, who funds these guys? Which is hysterically <laughs> uh, like, you, you, you no, you, yeah. Hey, uh, it's all it's all fun and games, uh, but I think that's about time nothing, for us nothing today. Nothing matters anymore. Uh, and mm. I want to remind you as well that we have a Patreon. There's a second episode every week. You can listen to it if you want to. Uh, if you're wondering who funds these guys. It could be you. <laughs> it's, it's you. Could be you as it's well. you. Yeah. yeah, that's all right. Um, so with all that being said, I want to thank my co-hosts for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank all our patrons, and say we'll see you in a couple of uh, sweet little days. Mm. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.